Welcome to The Pestle. Reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie making process. Hosted by Groundhog Day. Hosted by Groundhog Day. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Pat's Place. Drink your hopes and spill your dreams at Pat's Place, where drinks are never on the house. <laughs> Welcome everyone to The Pestle, the show where we like to grind up a film and see what it's made of, try to learn something about it, because we are two filmmakers. Uh, I'm a full-time filmmaker for the last six plus years, um, been doing it longer than that, depending on how you want to count it, and Todd is a full-time producer, a freaking badass, yes, sir. and oh, thank you. we are coming from that worldview, like what makes a movie worth watching or not worth watching. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's always something interesting that we pull away from a movie, whether it's, you know, a technical thing um, that we get to see, you know, how movies are made and made effectively. Um, all the little subtle things that are implanted into the viewer psyche. But then there's the other things that are more overt, you know, the storytelling structure and narrative and the theme, what they're driving at. I'm always like, it's interesting because we, this is now the 43rd episode we've done which is crazy to me. Oh, God, <laughs> you're aging me. <laughs> but I'm just so shocked because I feel like, on the one hand, I feel like we would have run out of things to discuss by now. But on the other hand, I totally recognize that every single movie is its own universe. Yeah. And there's always something cool going on in a movie, even the terrible ones. Yeah, I mean, uh, you look at Transformers. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to say it. And... Uh, you can look at a movie like that and say, okay, the story is not there. I mean, there's really nothing, no saving grace for it. If you're looking at like how to make a good movie mm -hmm. and yet, you know, you can step back and look at like, how would someone 50, a hundred years ago respond to watching, seeing a movie like that, Ooh. you know, and the man hours that, and the effort it took to actually, you know, from conception to finish, make something like that is awe-inspiring, you know? That's such a good point because every single frame had hundreds and sometimes thousands of people mm -hmm. touch that frame. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's amazing to be able to, uh, you know, I'll, I'll sing their praises a little bit, to be able to bring that many people together to make something as as like eye candy yeah. like that. Too bad it sucks uh, <laughs> according to modern day standards of filmmaking in every other way. Uh, but just the grandioseness of it is, uh, is still pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's stuff about pretty much any movie that if you make a movie, that's amazing. It doesn't matter how good it is, quote unquote, to anybody else. It was always, that was always the downfall for me in music was that it's so speculative. Mm -hmm. If you make something with the desire for other people to like it, it's, it's going to fall flat. You need to make something because you need to make it. That should be the first, the first question you ask yourself, how bad do I need to make this? You know, if, I mean, you know, look at Spielberg writing this, this film uh, that we're going to do today, Close Encounters. I'm sure that there was a, big driving force behind him wanting to write and direct this film, you know, like he didn't want to just put his hands in it. He wanted it 
he needed, had a voice for it, you know, and it turned out how it turned out. It's Mm -hmm. an iconic film that, I mean, still holds up to this day. So for all you filmmakers out there, you know, worried about what other people are going to think about what you're making, stop and just make it because nobody else has said what you want to say in the way that you want to say it. There you go. Amen. It is. It really is a miracle anytime a movie gets made and the sheer force of will that it takes to complete. I mean, any project, much less, you know, a freaking movie is just, it is awe inspiring in and of itself. So absolutely. Even, even the ones we dislike, I still have a great deal of, uh, love and appreciation for people who owned up and did it. So yeah, hats off. Agreed. Um, so with that said today, we're going to be doing close encounters of the third kind. Yeah. And if you have not seen this, go do so. There's going to be a lot of spoilers lying ahead and we don't want to ruin it for you, but if you don't care, or if you have seen it, then proceed with caution. We're going to be talking about a lot of things. We'll be discussing Spielberg's cinematography, I'm sure we'll touch on aliens. <laughs> it <No>. seems logical. <laughs> we'll talk about some of the storytelling devices and maybe a lot more. Okay, well, let's give you a, a quick synopsis of the film. Uh, again, if you haven't seen it, go watch it and then join us again. After an accidental encounter with otherworldly vessels and an an ordinary man follows a series of psychic clues to the first scheduled meeting between representatives of Earth and visitors from the cosmos. It's written and directed by Steven Spielberg, based on the novel by Carl Sagan, and story credits to Carl Sagan and Andrian. That was a hangover from last week. <laughs> <laughs> You can continue. I, know. I was like, I was just blindly reading. Great job. No, I appreciate the trust. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. <laughs> I literally do nothing but sit down and start talking. <laughs> I'm, keep it. Keep it in here. I literally right. let it known. I blindly read what's in front of me. I literally do nothing but sit down and start talking. Wes does everything else. Literally, there's not a single word uh, that I read that he hasn't written. So I'm exactly like like Anchorman. You are. I read the teleprompter. And if, and if there's a question mark, I read it like a question. So be careful what you write because I am going to read it. There you go. Written and directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Richard Dreyfuss as Roy Neary. Roy Neary. That's a weird. Uh, Terry Gar as Ronnie Neary. Uh, Bob Balaban as David Lachlan. And Lance Henriksen as Robert. And just a warning, there is a lot of beeping that's going to be coming at you with this soundbite. Aries 31, descend and maintain flight level 310. Great, Allegheny, triple four, turn right 30 degrees. Get on the heart of the 45th recon wave. See what the hell they could be testing up there. Aries jet descending to maintain flight level 310. Do you have any test operations restricted area 2508? Aries 31, roger. Traffic is quite luminous and is exhibiting some non-ballistic motion, over. Roger, Aries 31. Continue to send at your discretion, over. Okay, center. Center pilot's discretion is approved. The traffic is approaching head-on, ultra right, and really moving. And right by us, right now. Now, that was really close. Aries 31 is out of 340 on the traffic path. Ask them if they want to report officially. UWA-517, do you want to report a UFO, over? EWA 517, do you want to report a UFO? Over. 
Ares 31, do you wish to report a UFO? Over. Ares 31, do you wish to file a report of any kind of it? I wouldn't know what kind of report to file, Senator. Ares 31, uh, me neither. I'll try to track traffic to destination, over. Hmm. Hmm. That's a good. That's a good one. I'm glad you picked that. <laughs> yeah. I, what I really loved about that scene, I mean, is the use of silence in it, right? Because you have this big buildup you know, to that, that buzzing, uh, as it flies by them and it's just talking, 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 you know, blah, 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 blah. And then he asks a big hammer question, which is, do you want to report a UFO <laughs> and just silence? Yeah. And it's so loud in it. And I love the breaking that rhythm to emphasize the seriousness of that question. The beeping stops. It's just, yeah. 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 So good. I, w- I remember watching that scene and thinking, that the acting was actually really good in that scene just because, I mean, it couldn't have been, you know, like, like, so the, the black guy who was talking to them, the, mm-hmm. the, the, um, the control tower, the control guy. tower guy, that probably wasn't written script wise. I mean, in that way, because there's people talking over him and, and around him. I don't really know who to listen to when I'm watching that scene. I don't, am I listening to him talking to the planes? Am I listening to the people in the foreground in mm-hmm. front of him talking to each other? But uh, they're like mix wise, they're not really loud enough to overtake him and the beeping. So it's, it's total chaos you know, on purpose. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, but he like never breaks it. He's just in it, you know, talking, saying, you know, not random numbers <laughs> to this, this plane, turn X to the whatever. Uh, and I just, I just remember thinking that was some really, really poignant, good acting. Yeah. Completely agree. Yeah, yeah. That's just such a good scene. And you really feel like, Oh, this is probably what a control tower is really like. You have oh, yeah. whatever 40, 40 people in there all talking. And then of course they have a very special, situation going on that's developing or it's like maybe it's air traffic control that's what it is right yeah right not the actual tower in this one airport it's like mm-hmm. they're controlling a bunch of planes yeah, yeah. okay yeah gotcha. um, but it's it sells it perfectly and i love their demeanor because they have to keep cool and collected even as he's trying to relay like there's a there's a collision warning that's happening but he has to say it in a precise monotone direct fact-based way as possible to communicate all the information without overwhelming the pilot right it all needs to be digestible yeah and, and calm and calm i love that i mean it just and then of course it builds into this really dynamic scene yeah i just really like that but that said do you think that kind of stuff happens uh, in terms of pilots seeing something that maybe not something quite that outlandish because you know, in the movie, it's pretty undeniable and it's confirmed mm-hmm. um, visually and, and being a movie itself. <laughs> um, yeah. They write it in. <laughs> so, yeah, true. Um, but I'm sure, you know, probably some people see something and they can't really explain it, though I would have a personal, personal hard time believing that they would see something that we wouldn't have a lot more evidence for. But they probably don't report it anyway out of that same, I don't know, tension or apprehensiveness of like, what are people going to say about me? Or that's yeah. got to be a, a reputation thing or something. I don't know. What was your question? Do you think, do you think, do I believe it? Do yeah. you think that that happens? Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that that happens. 
Definitely. I mean, if you're a pilot and you're flying, you know, two, three flights a day, you're higher in the atmosphere. Sometimes you're going through clouds, you're above them, you're around mountains and, and undulating terrain beneath you. And, and, you know, you see the sun at different points in the sky. So I, I think that, that pilots see a lot more things like stuff like this than we would being on the ground. Now, do I think it's UFOs? I mean, it's unidentified, so yeah, technically, maybe. Yeah. Do I think it's aliens? No, <laughs> I don't. I, I, th- I do think that there, there's a lot of, you know, people that have seen things that they can't explain, and but it's just, you know, to go out and just say it was aliens yeah. is kind of, I mean... It's a quick jump. Yeah, it's a quick jump. And so, But I, I could imagine, maybe not, I could imagine pilots not wanting to say they saw a UFO, not necessarily because they would get laughed at, because I think that a lot of other pilots have probably seen stuff they can't explain too, mm-hmm. but more because the paperwork they'd probably have to do. <laughs> right. You just want to go home. I just want to go home. I don't want to say I saw something and fill out, you know, like an hour's worth of paperwork. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a pilot, but I do have pilot friends that I can definitely ping and, True. and, and ask them. Yeah. I'd be interested to ask my brother. He's my oldest brother is a crew chief on Blackhawks. Um, so he spends a lot so of time cool. with this guy. Yeah, he's a, he's a badass. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. Though. Yeah. You got to keep him humble. <laughs> he got the good genes. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> Inside joke. So you're not a big Spielberg fan. And I don't know the last time you saw this movie, but did it hold up to the way you thought it was going to be? Did you enjoy it? How did, what's your general overview? Uh, okay. It's been a long time since I've seen this movie and it, it did hold up with what I, the way I remember my initial, uh, my initial impression of it was all I was younger um, and so the scene of the kid being taken was terrifying to me. I remember being terrified. Mm-hmm. And from years after that, I was terrified of aliens or the thought of aliens. And and I just thought they were all going to take us. It didn't matter if they were good and they returned the boy <laughs> at the end. Spoiler. Uh, but uh, just that scene was scary as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was still kind of scary, you know? Yeah. And... It was funny. I was watching it the other night and my son walked downstairs during that scene and my wife was like, pause it. Uh, I just kept watching it and not even thinking. And cause I was, I was thinking it's not a scary movie cause I'm an adult now mm-hmm. and, and everything, but I, di- I didn't even think about it. And, uh, she was totally right. I needed to pause it and <laughs> go, uh, you know, put it back to bed. Um, You're just passing on the trauma. (laughs) Like father, like son, be terrified. (laughs) That being said, I still am not a fan of Spielberg and his work. I feel like there were other directors that could have maybe made this film a little, a little bit better. And I don't mean written it better. I think it was like really well written. Most of it. There were some questions that I have that we can get to a little bit later. Um, I'm sure we will. Yeah, that I just didn't understand the point of them. Uh, but just 
the overarching feeling that I have when I watch a Spielberg film is not like what everybody else describes when they watch a Spielberg film. They feel like they're in, immersed in it and they're, it's like this whole world that he's created and I feel like I'm shortchanged as a viewer a lot of times and there's stuff I've said this before I feel like things are way too bright in his films visually everything is too bright it's like poorly lit a lot of times and there's several scenes in in this film where I feel like that's that's the beginning of it you know E.T. was even different like E.T. I could watch E.T. all like all the time I feel like that was done really well. It was lit well. It was dark when it needed to be. I could see what I needed to see, um, but there was a good contrast to it. Uh, I felt like the story was amazing from beginning to end. The acting was incredible. Here, the act, in Close Encounters, the acting was incredible with what they had, mm-hmm. but I, I just, I didn't feel like I was. Um, it's hard to, it's, I can't really describe it. Yeah. You know, you, you sit down and you say, why don't you like chocolate? I can't tell you why I don't like chocolate. Wait, I do. I, do. Right? I love okay. chocolate. <laughs> I love chocolate. I'm just saying if I ask somebody who didn't, why right. you don't, they can't tell me why they don't usually. You just, you don't, like it. You just no. don't like chocolate. It's that kind of thing. And it, it just, every Spielberg film, most Spielberg films that I see, I just don't have this, this thing for them. That being said, to me, this film totally holds up. I think it's a beautifully done film. I think that parts, uh, you know, at the end where there's like a good 15, 20 minutes where there's not a word spoken and that's fantastic. And so that use of space and that use of, of like, like just backing off and letting the, the visuals tell the story, he does brilliantly. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So anyway, but we can get on to the, the yeah. things, you know, a little bit later after we get your take on it. Yeah. So I'll start and then I'll end with my, my take. Um, I'll start with the cinematography because Spielberg is really well known in the film community for his wonders, which are really long takes. Now a wonder doesn't necessarily have to be this 10 minute thing, right? It can be just a two minute take that you're doing a lot with and not just an unedited thing, but it's something where you're trying to create, in his case, he's creating a lot of coverage with camera movement without cutting. And so, for instance, in the opening sequence, you have the crazy old man who's sitting you know, out front of the store, and I don't know if he's talking or laughing, I can't remember exactly what he was, what he was up to, but we start really wide, and then we push in to about a medium wide, and then we just kind of keep pushing in, but not slowly pushing in it's like we're going to hold this this frame this wide and then as the character closes in towards the old man um like the government official as he closes in we close in with him so his movement cues the camera movement and i've seen other directors like a jj abrams who do it the inverse who the camera movement cues the character movement and that always bugs me because i can feel I can feel the the filmmaker behind it. Whereas, and when Spielberg's doing his thing, I feel the characters. I feel like I'm watching these people. I'm getting more intimate with them. And so his, his technical expertise is absolutely second to nobody. However, I may feel about this movie, which we'll get to like, technically he's 
just a, a master craftsman and putting on an absolute clinic. This is his like second big movie after Jaws. This is his follow up to Jaws. And so he, but he does that. And then eventually in that same one or in that same white shot with the, with the old man on the porch of the store, you know, we eventually get all the way to a close up. He just keeps pushing in and keeps closing in and just inching his way around at a certain point. Uh, it just starts maneuvering a little bit more. But another thing, fast forwarding, he really is good at is he lets people walk into close-ups and so he'll let the characters move around in the frame so like in the uh i don't know maybe halfway through the movie after they start having having the uh, the first encounter roy is at the door of a bedroom he's sitting at the door frame and his wife is sitting inside and they have a conversation there where he's right next to the camera because the camera is positioned right outside the door and she's way small in the frame and then has a little bit of dialogue and she gets up and she walks to the door frame and she positions herself. She walks into her close up. And that's just a really cool way of allowing the characters to move and to emphasize whatever's happening in the, just the most natural way possible. That's kind of built into the dialogue and the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not forcing it. And it makes the scene more dynamic without ever moving the camera. I just think that's creative and, and smart filmmaking. Like instead of cutting, Let's draw people further in. The longer we hold a take, the more you're able, you should be able to draw the audience in. If it's a well-written scene, if it's a crappy scene, then people will start checking their cell phones. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just the way that goes. But I also love that he lets people enter and exit the frame as well. So like, I forget where they're at. Is it India when all the people are singing the, the musical notes? There were somewhere oh, yeah. around the globe. Yeah, I think India would be a good guess. And... He, he's doing that like we have these tracking shots and he lets people exit the frame and then he'll cut switch to another wider frame maybe further up the mountain or hillside and then he's letting people enter the frame again and so it's just this great way to add progress and and excitement like something's happening people are leaving and coming and going and it's just a really simple smart way to add a lot of dynamic uh, motion and movement to a very solid looking frame otherwise because now it's the people adding energy it's not the camera movement it's just the people and obviously he had That's like awesome. a thousand people running around yeah. in his frame which i'm sure coordinating that was an absolute pleasure <laughs> of course <laughs> but another i mean he he does these other cool things uh we've talked about this previously he uses the split focus diopter at the dinner table when he's starting to have you know he's playing with the potatoes and he's starting to have this kind of nervous breakdown in front of his family. Mm-hmm. And it's freaking his kids out. Obviously, his wife has been freaked out. But now his oldest son is looking at him. And they put him frame in frame. The father's in the foreground. Like, well, there is no real background, I guess. But the father's up close. The son is in the distance. But they're both in focus. And they do this. And this film was made in, like, 1977. And so all the technology that they used was very practical stuff. We can still do everything they did back then. Obviously Uh, we've, we haven't regressed (laughs) technologically, but all they did was use this split focus diopter. It's a little lens attachment, but it just cuts the lens in half so that you can pull focus on one side uh, so that you can make something 
up close and focus and then something at a different distance and focus on the left side. Uh, it's just this really simple technique that's kind of helping you build excitement. I mean, you don't know who to be looking at, but it just builds all this emotionality as you yourself are creating edits because you're looking from the son to the father to the son. Whereas normally you might just have two separate edits, right? We're going to cut to the son. Then we're going to cut back to the dad. And now your eyes are literally, are, you know, figuratively creating edits in your head as you're choosing, do I want to dive into the emotional resonance of the son or the, the glaze and the emotional distance of the father? Um, but it creates a really thick emotional uh, richness in, in the viewer for sure. Also love the, uh, the interrogation scene with Roy as he's yeah. sitting <laughs> with uh, Bob Balaban and the, uh, the Frenchman. I, mm-hmm. I'm guessing that's Lance Henriksen. I don't, faces aren't my thing. Um, <laughs> but, but he's sitting there and at a certain point, right, he, he says, uh, the Frenchman asks him what he wants and he's like, I want answers. Is that crazy? And then they cut to behind the, the interrogators and they're, you know, really close to the camera and you have Roy who's sitting tiny into the, in the background. What's great about the positioning is these two guys in the front are whispering to each other. They're having this French dialogue conversation. Yeah. And the framing of Roy is their lips are literally like in his ears in the composition. (laughs) And so you can just kind of feel the madness uh, that he's feeling right now. Like, I don't understand what's happening. I just asked for answers and y'all are just speaking French (laughs) (laughs) and whispering it. Like I'm not in the room, like what's happening here. Um, And it's just beautiful because from there, and this is where some of my frustrations start to creep in, but he's frustrated and he stands up and now he's towering over them as we, you know, tilt the camera a little bit. And yet he's still powerless. Like he's got this power position and he's towering and he still has no power. And I'll, I don't know if I'll circle back to that specific moment, but it certainly adds to some of the stuff I'll talk about here in a minute. Um, touching on some of the effects, I don't know. I don't know what to call them. If, if they're visual effects or if they're special effects, because I, I can't tell. And to their credit, I'm assuming they're visual effects because I don't think, think those are practically done on set, which is the real difference between a visual effect and a special effect. One is done right. in post and one is done in camera, as they say, which is that the camera's filming it with everything else. But what I do like is that in sequence in a lot of sequences, but in that in sequence that you were talking about, that whatever 15, 20 minute thing where you're just experiencing the, the ship and the aliens, they're selling all these effects through the lighting they're letting the ship's light affect the scene itself. And so as the doors open, you can see the, the light beams kind of widening on everybody's faces. Roy's face is being lit by that door light. And it just really helps sell that suspension of disbelief. Like, this is really happening. If the, I didn't really pay attention early on. Like, if the, the red light was actually shining as it passed through during that very first encounter on the road. I can't remember. Maybe, maybe not. That might've been a, a bridge too far for them. The, the encounter with him. Yeah. The first one, when they're all on the side of the road after he barely misses, uh, Barry. Um, Oh, so his second account. Yeah. That would be his second account. Okay. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. yeah, I can't remember if they, they use some practical lighting to, because if you have an effect, right, where a, a flying saucer is flying through the scene and it's got all these lights over it, that light, 
if it's a real scene, if this is really happening in real life, that light is bouncing off of people as it passes them. And the smart way to sell that effect is find a way, whether it's you green screen a guy running with a, a light on a stick and he runs through everything. And then in post, you, you know, comp them out and uh, insert your visual effect there. But that helps sell what you're what you're pitching to the audience. Um, I know in certain tiny things that I've made before for like University of Texas, I had scenes where I'm trying to sell the the sun is going away. And so I brought in an actual light to pretend to be the sun just so I can have a difference between there's a light hitting my character and now there's no light hitting my character and I can, you know, create the visual and it's just all implied. It's just all so subtle and subdued, but we're experts as human beings. We're experts on light. It's how we see everything. That's the, that's all, all you're seeing is light bouncing off of things. (laughs) And so we are inherently experts. And so you might hear some of these ideas and say, well, it's too far. You don't really need to do that but you're an expert and you don't even know it and you will feel the difference. It's just a little bit, but it's those little bit of, of touches that help sell the, these effects. It's not good at lighting, man. <laughs> He's not, He's not. I mean, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. I mean, yeah. I've been saying that for the last, you know, four Spielberg films that I've seen. That's true. You know, that's true. Not including this one. <laughs> and so, uh, another effect that they do that I, I kind of like, not everybody likes this effect, but whenever they do the neighborhood shot where the lights go out, they do what I think is a day for night shot where if you wanted to light an entire neighborhood from like 300 feet in the air, that's going to be hard to do because you're trying to cover, you know, a thousand houses with light you can't light that practically and so another way to do that is to shoot at that daytime and then in post or maybe with certain uh effects and i don't know how you would do it practically but in post the way i would do it is just uh changes a lot of the color grading to make it look like nighttime mm-hmm. and why that works really well here is let's say you were able to light all those all those houses well, then now you have the problem of coordinating all the lights going out. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, you don't want that. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen them do this in a few different films mm-hmm. or I've assumed that like, oh, that I, I think they probably filmed that during the day and that maybe in post. Like how, as, as someone who, you know, is professional who does this kind of thing, like how would you, if you wanted to do this, how would you shoot that? Like how do you, you know, camera wise, lighting wise, that's, it's different than just shooting during the day and then making it look like night. You have to set it up knowing in post you're going to make it look like night. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's shortcuts for like you and I, if you use like DaVinci Resolve or, uh, even Adobe speed grade has a little preset that you just say, Hey, day for night. And they apply all these color grades to it that drops the exposure on, like the highlights and and instead makes it a lot darker. So you get this feeling, but you still don't lose all the details of your objects. Because if you were going to shoot this at night and you didn't have this magical phantom lighting scenario, what you would be left with is pitch black. Because after you shut off all those houses' lights, there would be nothing illuminating your scene anymore. Mm-hmm. And so shooting this day for night, now you can paint in all these lights and, you know, just delete them as the lights go out. But you're still left with definition of the neighborhood. 
But what about like shutter speed stuff? Yeah, like, I would still. Like how would you? I would keep all that the same. Um, you know, 24 frames a second and 180 degrees shutter angle. But I would probably also want to figure out a good way because the way I can usually tell if something was shot day for night is the shadows. The moon isn't going to create all these shadows. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, um, so I might hope, you know, to I might have a second unit on standby like, hey, whenever there's a nice overcast day, go grab that shot. That'll kill all the shadows. Uh, but otherwise, maybe you say, well, let's just do it at noon when the shadow is very, very small over everything. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably a smart way. And then in post, it, it just kind of plays as the house's lighting is creating these shadows on the ground, if you notice it at all, which uh, you may not, because everything's already so dark. Certain things are just yeah. odd. This okay. isn't something you're used to seeing anyway, I guess. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so... Getting into the story devices, (laughs) there's so many things that are done for dramatic effect Mm -hmm. that don't really have any cohesive logic to them that I can pick out. And I'll just run through a gauntlet of them. (laughs) Like uh, the little boy's first encounter, like the electronic toys are just coming alive. And then in Roy's first encounter, right, the truck rattles and the gravity in the truck shifts. The signs are shaking and all that stuff. And in the little boy's second encounter, when he gets abducted, you have the clouds rolling to hide the UFO right before it, you know, descends. And, oh, by the way, I really love the calm demeanor of the mother as she closes the door on the UFO with the ship outside. Like, she's just trying to keep her, you know mess together (laughs) and it's such a good because it leaves her so much room to lose her shit as the scene progresses and she starts at a 10 you have nowhere to go (laughs) that's a good point yeah you got to leave yourself room for an arc but then the aliens like open the window and they unscrew and open the vents um they start like sending smoke i guess to chase the boy out of the house uh, it turns on the vacuum cleaner um, and shakes the fridge and oven and kitchen appliances. And I don't know if they're trying to make a commentary about her being a woman and all these appliances coming after her. I, I honestly have no idea. And then the son obviously crawls out of the dog door. and Which, by the way, if there's aliens coming for my kid... <laughs> He's not leaving my arms. No. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. She's like staring like scarily at the window as he like slips out and just goes to the dog door and she doesn't even notice. Uh, <laughs> that, that's weak, man. That is weak. Got to hold on to your kid. <sighs> you gotta- I, look, I'm not saying that I all I, I 100% of the time am clutching my children, but if there is an alien coming to my house, I am. First instinct. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 Especially after the first, after, you know, the, his first encounter with the, with the aliens. True. Whatever. <laughs> and then the entire end sequence, like the music section, the aliens, um, it all seems like dramatic effect. And I really say that because I don't really know what the story is about. Uh, and I'll get to what I think it's about here in a second, but I honestly just don't know what the story is about. Are we following a guy with his obsession to find answers to an unexplainable experience? If so, like, what is his answer? Um, what is the government's involvement? Spielberg seems to really like to use the government as this 
omniscient boogeyman. Mm, yep, yep. And they're hiding all the secrets and answers of the universe. Or trying to destroy them. Or trying to destroy them, yes. Yeah. And it, for me, uh, it strains credibility. Maybe, in my opinion, it's kind of his own deus ex machina, which a deus ex machina is kind of this old Greek phrase that literally means God from the machine, but, you know, more colloquially it just kind of means it's a it's a way to save your character without them having to earn their way out of a given situation and this the government the government isn't technically a deus ex machina because it's not saving anybody it's not but to me it just feels like this kind of low rent writing tool that you don't fully have to explain because it's the government who knows what they're doing yeah and so that that's beginning to bother me. The more movies of his that I watch, that is like uh, a very converting. strong, <laughs> not quite, not quite, right. but I, I've traditionally had some issues with a lot of Spielberg movies, not all of them. One of which is certainly that pretty much all of his movies have a positive ending. Mm-hmm. Even the darkest ones, the light, that's the lightness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now that said, I, I, I'm guessing this movie is really just meant to be in a, an experiential journey rather than touching on deeper themes and meaning. Um, that's about as much as I can get out of it. Like for me, I kind of walked out of this. I was like, man, because I, the first time I watched this was in a theater like six years ago and I got to see a 35 millimeter print and it was Spielberg's own copy and edit had different scenes in here than the one I watched on this one. And I had a really good time. I, I wouldn't say I was like blown away, but I had a really good time. And the experience certainly added to it, right? You're watching Spielberg's own print. You're in a movie theater getting to watch Close Encounters. And that night I also got to watch my favorite horror film, which is The Thing. And I got to see a screening of, at the time, J.J. Abrams' new film, uh, Super 8. And it was just this whole grand evening. And, you know, finishing it off with Close Encounters was just this really magical thing. And just a great way to see this movie for the first time. And so having to sit quietly in my room and watching it, I was just... I was a lot less impressed. I think it's the kind of thing that would play really, really well in the 70s and 80s, but it, it washed over me a lot less excitingly uh, watching this. I completely agree. Like the performances, I think, are excellent. Richard Dreyfus is a freaking force, man. Kills it. Absolutely. Absolutely kills it. I just didn't see this as a kid. This is one of those films that, for whatever reason, I didn't have access to, and I watched virtually everything mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, a lot of B movies that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemies but yeah for whatever reason man this one just didn't doesn't stick with me it's not that I don't love certain aspects of it I love the ideas behind a lot of it the the music being a form of communication I think is just brilliant and it's beautifully executed and uh, to your point, like watching it just visually unfold instead of being spoon-fed all this dialogue mm -hmm. uh, just gorgeous and riveting but this isn't i don't think this is something i could watch again i don't understand so much of this film and i that could fill its own podcast quite honestly but yeah i don't i just yeah. don't understand the, there were there were three good parts in this movie mm -hmm. there was the beginning the what you played mm -hmm. the the scene you played there's the end yeah uh, with the contact um and there's the scene where he builds the mountain in the in his house <sighs> Yeah, the madness of it. And it's crazy because his 
he he feels like he's completely still in control, right? That yeah. scene where he oh, says to yeah. his wife, where are you going? You're not yeah, even like, dressed. That's yeah. crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> I love it. He's brilliant in the he, in the way that he that he plays that whole scene right there. It's like he's he's totally fine and everything and then all of a sudden he pulls the, you know, the top off of that that mound on his on the table and he sees Oh, it's a, it's got a flat top and Oh, now I'm totally fine. I know exactly what I need to do. Pull up all the plants, throw a bunch of rocks and, and stuff in the kitchen and go to town. <laughs> you know, it was just it, it, acting. The acting was fantastic on his part. Um, his wife was uh, super annoying, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, super annoying, screaming at him when she finds him in the, in the shower, fully clothed and just sitting there. And he says, I, I, there's something wrong. I have a problem. And she's just screaming at him for no freaking reason. It's like, that's terrible in, you know, the love of your life. Yeah. It's just, yeah. And then, and then she takes the kids and leaves and he doesn't go after her. He just continues on. And I guess because he's just engulfed in this and he can't leave it fine. But then he goes, he goes to the mountain that he fought. He finds out where the mountain is. He goes there, meets up with the, the woman who lost her son. And then they make out. <laughs> that was a big, and he leaves the planet, leaves his wife and children like we don't ever see them again after she after she leaves with them out of the driveway and he continues building in the the mountain in his in his house we don't ever see him there's no closure in that he just makes out with this woman and then leaves the earth that is stupid so stupid and i'm i'm choosing when i say this is this is a good movie and it holds up for me i'm choosing to ignore yeah. the the like you know the blatant bullshit that is the writing of that yeah. ridiculous. You know, I, I want to, I want to sit down with Spielberg and ask him like, and look, I don't have any starstruckness. You know, I yeah. could be, he could be sitting right here and I'd be like, what were you thinking? That was horrible, <laughs> you know? And, and, but this movie for Siskel and Ebert th- said it was the greatest, you know, like a uh, sci-fi movie ever made or wow. one of them, like they, you know, or second greatest, I think it was, behind 2001 fair um that that would be first (laughs) yeah exactly 2001 would be first and then and then this Mm. i'm just thinking what were they watching and how are they watching this unfold in a different way than i was because i just was like i was kind of mad yeah like like who's the hero in this film is it him that's a shitty hero who does something like that. I mean, I, a hero is usually somebody that you as a viewer want to identify with, or you can identify with whether you want to or not, you identify with this person or this character. And I feel like I identify with him at times, Mm -hmm. but then he does something completely stupid or just out of character of a quote unquote hero or somebody that I want to identify with. And so I don't anymore. I mean, was that the purpose? Was that maybe, you know? Right, because all we really get are implications. Like they imply certain things, but they never explain certain things. Like we assume the government has had some longstanding relationship with these aliens of some kind. Yeah. Because they had already prepared like 
a bunch of space travelers, um, astronauts of some kind that were going to board with the aliens and the aliens passed over all of them and chose Roy. Yeah. <laughs> Which sounds like a really funny sketch to me. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like me. Yeah. And so they're, they're constantly implying that there's answers and he's getting his answers somehow, some way, but they never let us in on it. And so I feel like it's one really big attempt at invoking wonder um, instead of actually trying to provide any any nuanced opinion or take. I mean, that's not to say this isn't this doesn't have some absolutely gorgeous stuff in it, obviously. I still love the the spaceship and all the visual effects I'm a big fan of. Like that's absolutely my favorite stuff. And some of the and he, he gives them all like little personalities. It doesn't just feel like these static things, but you can kind of feel the benevolence of of the aliens themselves, even though at times it feels like we're kind of talking down to them, even though they're the advanced uh, race. <laughs> yeah. But I love like one of them just kind of turns upside down. Like it's just hanging out and he wants to talk. Like there's all these really interesting nuances to it. But ultimately I was just like, man, I would much rather watch, you know, some other alien movies, I guess. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> anyway, uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of anything else I want to say uh, that I haven't already said. I mean, it's, it kind of, it, it just kind of confuses me. Yeah. And not in a good way though. You yeah. know, I don't mind being confused after a film. A lot of times I like it. Yeah. You know? um, Cause you feel like there's an answer in there. If I think about it and there's something for me, if I chew on it just long yeah. enough and yeah, talk it sure. out. And that's one of the great things about, sci-fi films why mm-hmm. you know we like them so much because they're supposed to make us ask questions um and which is inher- inherent in humankind is yeah. to ask questions you know where do we come from are we alone are there more out there have they visited us what do they look like are they sentient are they you know are they just you know, algae on on you know some foreign planet or in some galaxy I mean, you know, there are a lot of wonderful questions. And then I guess I, I also don't like the whole, like, seeing them. Mm. I didn't like seeing them. It would have been so much better if we didn't see the aliens because they did nothing. Yeah, one thing that confused me, and this is like me being a bit of a dick, but is when that first tall alien comes out. Yeah. And like... Oh, and he... He ducks under him like... Oh, yeah. Uh, why didn't you just build a taller doorway? <laughs> that's that's the kitty door because all of a sudden uh, all okay. the kids came down. You that's know, a, that's the child slide. Okay. Maybe maybe that. Because <laughs> I'm like, we, we we build buses. Like we walk onto the bus and we walk in the bus. But for cars, we we just sit down in the car and then we get up when we're done with it. Yeah. But uh, like I said, that's that's kind of just me being a, a, and, a dingle bat. But and probably, and I'm I'm just because I'm also trying to think. Well, why do they use a bunch of kids or mm-hmm. a bunch of younger or I don't know younger kids or whatever? Yeah. smaller, shorter. Mm-hmm. Obviously, little people in alien uh, outfits yep. to be the ones to select the person in, instead of like you know an army of the tall ones which looked like the adults probably for money purposes. Maybe they didn't have the CGI technology to have them actually walk right. out to the people. I don't know. It just, 
there's a there would have been I think there was probably a better way to pick him. I did enjoy they make this little Einstein reference at that point when the pilots unload and for whatever reason they saved or stole these pirate pilots. I I don't Mm -hmm. know. Um, But I love the uh, the reference they make. These two scientists, Einstein was right. And the other one's like, well, Einstein was probably what felt them. And I think what they're referencing there is like relativity because the pilots haven't aged. And so that ship maybe time traveled through the use of light speed because if you you know travel at the speed of light everything back home is is aging exponentially in relativity to you and so that would be that's just kind of a a a trick to travel time travel of course you can only do it forward you can't do it backwards but you can go whatever it was for them 30 years into the future and deliver these pilots to safety and i thought that oh that's kind of a cool thought that's just kind of thrown out there. Everything just feels, and maybe that's why Spielberg doesn't do any more writing (laughs) because everything (laughs) just feels thrown out there. Yeah. Like making out with uh, the woman, the mother's, uh, the son's mom, like it doesn't make any sense. I mean, a lot of stuff doesn't make sense. I'm glad you feel the same way because that was like the icing on the cake for me. Yeah. That was like, what are you, what? What are we doing here? It doesn't here? make any sense. I don't care if it was made in the 70s or if it was made yesterday. It just doesn't make any sense. No. And by the way, oh man, this this movie does it, but a lot of movies do it, which is the knockout gas that they drop from the plane. Like that stuff can kill people. I'm assuming, I don't know what they're pretending that, that gas is, but generally speaking, you can't just chloroform someone on their face and like everything be, you know, copacetic. It's just, it just, it doesn't work that way. You're going to kill somebody if you don't properly dose them. That's why there's anesthesiologists in operating rooms and they don't just, yeah. Hey, we're going to put you under now and splash a rag with chloroform <laughs> and, and smother you with it. Like it's, it's really easy to, to, to kill somebody, you know, through sedatives. And that just always bugs me when I see that in films. I'm like, I wish someone would take a little more care on, you know, but that's why you have movies. It's, it's dramatic. It seems like we're tearing this movie apart. Yeah. I, yeah. That's, I, that was not in my intention coming in here. <laughs> Let me just say, I mean, I had, you know, my reservations I wanted to express, but mm. I didn't intend for it to go this far. But I still think, I mean, f- especially for its time, it certainly left a massive influence because, I mean, I grew up and I never saw this as a kid. I mean, I saw clips here and there. I kind of knew I would confuse this with fire in the sky, quite, oh, quite yeah. frankly. Um, Which should be one we do because... I haven't seen that in so long. I did see either. that when I was a kid, but yeah. uh, I remember that one having a really big, like, whoa, this is insanity. But I would confuse these two movies. Um they are nothing alike. Nothing alike. <laughs> but my brother was a big my that same brother who flew block who flies Blackhawks, and he loves these things. He loved this growing up, and I never understood why because I didn't get to see it. But I know this had obviously just a huge influence on everybody. So I'm not trying to take away anything. I'm just saying in 2018 for West, this just wasn't a great <laughs> great experience. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Forty years after the fact. Same here. Nice. Okay. So recommendation for the week. <laughs> <laughs> Straight on to yeah. it. Yeah. I'm going to recommend Dick's District 9. Ooh. Yeah. Have we? We haven't. I mean, I... I Impressive. I, I looked and, and we haven't. Yeah. I loved 
this movie. It, it was, it you like flew in under the radar. There's not really anybody that you know in it, no, that, or that that did it. It's like very, just like hey, there's this cool idea that could also uh, reference you know stuff that's going on today. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's let's see what that would be like. You know, anyway, go check out District Nine. Uh, it's from I think. I don't know, 2009, 2010, something like that. Yeah, sounds about right. Um, so it's not super old. Um, yeah, the special no. effects are fantastic in it. Neil They're, Blomkamp was a yes. special effects guy. And oh, was he? He designed the monsters based on his experience as a visual effects artist. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Well, no wonder they're so good yeah. and they're so believable. Yeah. It's it's so well done and it pulls at your heartstrings in a lot of ways. So, yeah. Badass. So I've been floundering. I was going to recommend Arrival, but I think I'm actually going to go with the original, The Day the Earth Stood Still. I forget what year this came out. It's like like maybe 1941. Yeah, Yeah, something like that. But I think it's an incredible film. It's one of my absolute favorite classics because it does what I think Close Encounters is trying to do, except it lays on actual important themes that are very tangible and it's making you ask questions about humanity. And Granted, some of the visual effects are hokey, but I mean, they're a product of their time. But getting past that, I think you'll get into, you know, the story a lot. So definitely worth worth a viewing in 2018, I believe. Awesome. Yeah. Good wreck. So stay tuned for next week. We are going to be covering HBO's The Sunset Limited. Yeah. It's only on HBO, I believe. So maybe it's on like Amazon Prime yeah, because they have like a relationship with HBO. Okay. But you should watch it if you haven't seen it because I think we're going to have some really interesting conversation about it. Yeah, if you ever contemplate good versus evil or or uh, light versus dark, uh, this this is a movie you need to put down the popcorn and really pay attention to every single word. Yeah, this is yeah. a boxing match between Tommy Lee Jones and Samuel L. Jackson. Yep. And yep. worth, absolutely worth watching. Definitely, definitely. Uh, so make sure to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Every every subscription, every review means everything to us. L- let us know what you want us to do. If you have uh, a, a thoughts, uh, a favorite movie or a movie you hate or whatever, you just want to hear what we have to say about some random thing. Um, well, we read all of them and we pay attention to all of them. So uh, definitely review and subscribe, please. And you can drop a note on this specific episode at the pestlepodcast.com slash close encounters of the third kind. <laughs> that fast, right? Yeah, I tried to make it sound like a short word. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they really want to want to see it, just go to the pestle podcast and search for Yeah, that's yeah, it's, much it's, more yeah, efficient. It's at, it's at the, it'll be at the top yeah. right now. All right, so let's do the quote of the day. Let's see what you picked. So today's quote comes from the historic sci-fi writer H.G. Wells. And he said, the past is the beginning of the beginning. And all that is and has been is but the twilight of the dawn. And I really love that because in context of alien contact, like to us, that's like, that would be the most game changing moment in all of human history is to discover alien life in whatever form, even if it was just flora and fauna. That would just be absolutely mind boggling. But, you know, past this prologue and at some point fire was incredible and the best achievement. It's always just the beginning. It's always just the beginning. Yeah. And oh, I love that good. idea. That's brilliant. 
doesn't it doesn't matter what discovery or what what change happens or or something good or bad it's just the beginning of something and wow even the end of something is the beginning of something else that's that man absolutely well said where'd you find that um i was trying to think of who i wanted to hear from and we'd already done sagan and so i was like oh man it she was because he wrote war of the worlds right along with you know time the time machine and a bunch of other stuff but i'm a big fan of war of the worlds not necessarily the book even though i think the book is a fine book it's just not an easy read for the west (laughs) (laughs) i'm loving this you gotta stick with it i'm loving it but yeah i was just started looking up some of the things he had to say and i yeah i really love that you know concept for sure awesome well done great well thank you so much guys for joining us uh we hope that you've enjoyed this uh encounter of the third kind (laughs) whatever we hope you've enjoyed our review of close encounters uh again make sure to subscribe and review us on itunes and next week we'll be doing the sunset limited on hbo so go check that out until then i'm todd i'm wes go watch the movies